I'm Aaron Armstrong. I'm Pete Moran. And I'm Morgan Runis. And we love to watch. We love to watch a really bad case of Lyme disease. This is the end. We'll be lovers no more. We'll just be friends. Hey, Morgan. Hey, Peter. Howdy. Hey, team. Real specific call out. Uh, I want to I wanna get this out of the way. So if you listen to the ending of last week's episode of Slugfest, uh, you heard two different pronunciations for Morgan Renis. Uh, my version and Peter's version. Uh, and now that Morgan is on the show, mm-hmm. announced himself... Uh, Peter, which one was, was to your recollection, correct? <laughs> did I say Runus on accident? On my yeah, sh- on, on you my- did, okay. and you asked me to edit it out, and like an asshole, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, no, who said Ru- Runis? Runus? Yeah, yeah, that's what Peter said. Because it, it's Runus. It, yeah, if you'd if you'd like to give him hell, you just go right ahead. No, because that's how yeah, you pronounce my name, Runis. Like uh, Runis is not. Yeah, Runis. Runis is what like asshole telemarketers call when they want to sell me like <laughs> life insurance or something. <laughs> Wait, by the way, are you getting like an insane amount of telemarketing calls recently? Yes. I'm getting so many about buying bullshit that nobody wants, and it's the worst thing ever. I don't have a credit card, which is probably the craziest thing about me, because my life is very <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. You can't just jump into three facts about yourself. Oh, oh shit! <laughs> Fuck! Like, calm it down. We'll get there. We'll tell. I'm just. I'm very excited. All about ways of payment that you have and don't have. Okay. It's our bread and butter of our most popular segment. Okay. okay. Please yeah. don't jump the gun. I got I'm serious sorry. Venmo questions. You have serious bed bug questions. Venmo. Oh, I got you. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> I was wondering if you were so old that you didn't know what Venmo was, and I was like, Aaron, come on, come on. No. Peter, come on. <laughs> come on. So this is our first and it's our only guest on Slugfest 2017 uh, because, as we'll announce later, we had to reschedule next week's guest. This means that of our goofiest uh, month subjects, we only have to deal with one person who can judge us. But let's see how comfortable he feels. I'm already deeply uncomfortable. Good. Good. Like, like Good. five That's minutes That's the ideal in. situation. Uh, Morgan. Mm-hmm. What month is this to you? How would you describe the month that we're doing right now on We Love to Watch? Like like Spookfest? No. Uh Halloweeny? Uh Morgan, can you just like take a take a little side break? I'm gonna have like a quick side discussion with Peter. Real quick. Just uh, okay. <laughs> someone's like, hey, right. hey Peter. Yeah. I don't think he knows about Slugfest. Does he know about Slugfest? I don't think he knows about Slugfest. It's really hard to whisper in this voice. It's it, we're just basically doing the exact voice. I, I can I can hear you over I can hear you over Skype. This is a very bad side discussion. Oh, oh sorry. <laughs> oh hey hey Morgan. Oh hey. Okay, I guess one last chance. I know you didn't hear any of that, but yeah. you know, I threw a penny in a wishing well and here's hoping. Mm-hmm. Uh, Morgan. <laughs> yeah. What month is this again? Oh god, uh let me check my calendar here. Uh, last month was uh Slutty September, which means this is October, which, uh, that's, uh, oh, that's right, it's Slugfest! <laughs> Hell that's yeah! That's right, it's Slugfest! Slugfest! Hell yeah! We added a that's third right. person to the Slugfest voice. <laughs> that's all we needed was a third person to ruin their vocal cords. <gasps> Ideally, none of us are going to be able to speak again in November. 
This is actually our way of slowly retiring the podcast. But it's fine because November is decidedly not slugfest. <laughs> We're going to need to come up with a gravelly, awful voice for November, too. It's rehab month. <laughs> we learn to speak ag- and sing again. Slugfest uh, 2, Electric Slugaloo. That's pretty good. That's yeah. pretty, I, I, or, you know, Slugfest 2, Hyper Slug. Yeah, um, that's good. Slugfest with a vengeance. Uh, Slugfest 2, Slugs Take Manhattan. Slugs Take Manhattan. I would, yeah. Who would not watch Slugs Takes Manhattan? That sounds like a great movie. They're already there. I think it's more of a rat city, but I bet you they got they got solid slug activity. Oh, it's, oh, it's a fucking rat city. You just reminded me, the, the closest thing I've seen to a fucking horror movie was, uh, I was in New York. I'm sorry, I know this is not the three things about myself, but I'm gonna jump the gun again. Do it! Uh, but, uh... I was in yeah, New York yeah, City. Yeah, first thing, first thing about himself. <laughs> uh, I was in New York City once, uh, doing. Uh, I was there for like a uh, West Side Story, and uh, we were passing by this little like garden area, and some some drunk hipster douchebags were following me and my dad, who were just walking down the sidewalk, and they threw like a piece of garbage into this garden area, and like a million rats, like the ground moved. And a million rats just poured out of this fucking garden and just all like dove into like the 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 grate, like they were all diving in to meet up with Pennywise or whatever. It was it was fucking horrifying. <laughs> it is horrific how fast they are. A buddy oh of my mine God. threw up over a balcony once in Chicago, and it was a, a alley facing apartment. And so he threw up into a, off a balcony into an alley. Within, yeah, seconds, they just like swarm. They're so, they're, they like just find it so fast. If they're, if it's dark enough and they feel like, you know, I guess motivated enough. Well, because they want to, you know, rush to it as quickly as possible in case it's a pizza pie. Exactly. <laughs> like, dude, did you see pizza rat? I'm going to fuck with fast. <laughs> so that was number one, Morgan. Okay. That was uh, your rat knowledge <laughs> for different rat facts. Metro- <laughs> rat facts in different metropolitan areas. <laughs> um, so yeah. So what's your what is your number two? Maybe a rat fact. Maybe not. I am. Uh, I'm a screenwriter in training. I got poached by the University of Nebraska. They have a writers workshop, and they just opened a screenwriters division and i literally when i transferred there from my last college like the first thing they said is oh well uh we we looked at your stuff and uh there's a new screenwriting division that's open that is totally untested totally experimental but we want you know if you'd like to come on that we could do that and i was like yes yes please thank you that's awesome that's awesome I'm, i'm on the i didn't know that about you yeah how many montages are part of the training program? At least six. Considering the elective for the um, the sports montage, which is very advanced from the normal montage. I think the advanced one is like, you're not just cutting between different training parts, but you're also like cutting back and forth between like a, a, a sad time in your life that shaped your current experiences. Well, well <laughs> and also between different people. Like the advanced, like, to, to give you an example, like, your introductory montage is like Rocky 1, where it's just like Rocky learning how to fight, and it's got the pump-up music, but your advanced, like, thesis-level montage is that, is it Rocky 4, where the one, it's, where it's like, it's cutting between him and Drago, and it's like him and, like, this fucking barn, like, lifting crates of shit, and crunching <laughs> photos, and Ivan Drago's all, like, hooked up to, like, fucking 50 machines. Don't, don't ask us. 
Like you're the one in the class. <laughs> I've not reached that level. I am. I am but yeah. a mere novice in the world of the montage and of screenwriting. Uh, I, you know, you got you're the guys with the podcast. I thought you would be masters of this. Yeah, you know how hard it is to get one of those. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, you got to fill out a lot of paperwork. Uh, a quarter of a page of paperwork. If I were to have a montage, it would be like you meet your sensei. Right, yeah. you're training with your sensei. Everything's going great, and at some point, when the '80s ballad is still going strong, the sensei dies. Then you have to go to the sensei's funeral, and then, like, at some point in the montage, it just gets really awkward because you are like approaching old Asian men in the park to like see if they'll be your sensei, and then like, you have to go through a secondary montage, which is you discovering that you're actually racist, and then <laughs> and then working through that. So, like, that's we're up to four montages now, at least. Just half the movie is a montage of chasing around like Asian dudes. Like, dude, I am an accountant. I don't, I don't know fucking kung fu. Like, come on, dude, please. <laughs> and, you're, and then you try and save face. You're like, yeah, I want an apprenticeship in accounting. I want to. <laughs> yeah, accounting. Wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> uh, Morgan, uh, do you have any other Morgan fact or specifically facts? one more? One more. F- oh shit! I only get to talk about myself one more time. <laughs> I might just duck out of this duck out of this podcast right now. I thought this was all about me. I thought this was going to be like 80% Morgan, 10% rats, 10% slither. <laughs> this is a bad a good combo. I was on the front page of the Omaha World Herald way back in the day when I was like five. My parents used to work for a popular uh, Christmas group. And I was I was a little toy soldier man in their like front entrance costume get up like basically like a bunch of mascot costumes, like welcoming people into the show or whatever. And I was dressed up as a little toy soldier boy. For some reason, my photo got into got the front page of the World Herald. And I think for like 10 years and I didn't know this until they stopped. I was the cover five-year-old boy for like the month of december in like the official omaha world herald uh like (laughs) staff calendar (laughs) so you're saying you're a male model yeah i'm a i'm a sassy male model what do you think was printed more uh your image on this local newspaper over time total or uh images of marilyn monroe in that one issue of playboy you know i don't want to i don't want to step to marilyn but (laughs) there's a lot of dudes who work at the world herald i mean i think it's like the fourth biggest employer in omaha so i'm just saying marilyn if you're listening out there i'm coming for you i like to think that marilyn monroe is in heaven listening to podcasts (laughs) That fucking asshole. Or maybe that's what hell is. Hell is Marilyn Monroe realizing a five-year-old boy is kicking her ass in publication. <laughs> uh, she's like, man, if I just lived for a couple more years, I could have competed with Morgan. Thank you so much, Morgan, for sharing three things about yourself. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Uh, this is the special time in, a, uh, in Spooktober where we try and watch as many new horror movies as we can. I started my week with It Comes at Night, which is a movie that I missed in theaters because uh, I'm a stupid dunderhead. Mm. I am a fan of Krisha, the director's previous, Trey Schultz's previous movie. Um, it is seriously like as someone with some anxiety stuff, uh, Krisha is a stress test. Uh, for a human being and it comes at night uh, has some of those elements as well he's just a remarkably taut director I don't want to say much about it but um, it does kind of deliver on the survivalist horror in ways that The Walking Dead wishes it could The Walking Dead has a lot of problems I think with um, 
just being too monster focused, this is kind of abstract. Like you don't know much about the plague at all. I watched that as well, and I it was it was my favorite of the week. It is a terrifically creepy, creepy movie, uh, and I highly recommend it. But just know going in that you're not going to get big monster special effects and you know crowds of zombies or anything like that. It's it's a movie very much about the human toll of survival and the the sort of like uh, moral compromises that pragmatism brings you. So I, I yep. really liked the movie. Uh, it's kind of controversial. Like some people, some people kind of feel like they were sold a different movie from the trailer, which is always an annoying uh, and unhelpful complaint. Um, especially when a movie kind of, I mean, this movie works partially on, I think on, um, setting up certain expectations about the characters and the world that we know and survival myths and all this kind of stuff and takes it in a, in a different direction. So I think, I think having the rug or expectations pulled out from under you are pretty critical to what this movie is trying to do. Yeah. And then my next two were not uh, not particularly great. One was Primeval, which I will say nothing about because it's that shitty. Uh, the other was Extra, which I was kind of disappointed on because it's sort of this really? like, cult. It's this cult creature feature movie. Have you seen it, Morgan? You mean like Extra, right? Like X-T-R-O. Yeah. Okay. I've heard a lot of good things about it. Um, so I'm kind of disappointed that it's not that good. I, I, I highly recommend people watch it if you get a chance. It's kind of hard to find. I ended up watching, like, a version on YouTube because it's, like, out of print and really just hard to find. Uh, but I wasn't really that into it. It is a distinctly we weird movie. It delivered on all the weirdness I wanted, but it just didn't quite uh, hold my attention. Um, the, the winner of this week is a, a movie called Night of the Demon. Uh, the Jacques Tournier movie is, I think, maybe my favorite movie of the classic horror era. It is from 1957. It is uh, just about a skeptic going up against a dude who casts curses on people, and these curses call upon this demon. It kind of has Drag Me to Hell vibes, It, uh, but it also reminds me of Kiss Me Deadly, which is this sort of uh, just very modern sensibility in terms of editing and photography. So it never feels stayed. The camera fit never feels bolted down. It's, it's just a great classic horror movie. Another one, the weird discovery I had of the week was Dark Waters. Uh, nothing to do with the Japanese movie or the remake. Completely uh, independent, which probably kind of hurt, hurts its chances of getting an audience, I think. It's this 1993 like Lovecraftian horror movie that is so kooky and kind of clumsy at times, but it's so kooky and weird. And I really, really need Scream Factory or you know Synapse or one of these guys to make a, a healthy release of it. I watched The Gate. Oh, you already watched that. I'm saving that for my back week. It's this sort of like 80s movie about a, about kids contending with evil, and I won't say much more than that. But it was very fun, and and it was just like a, a cute little movie. Um, Maybe I'll bump that up. Maybe that's not a last week movie. Yeah, it's it's fun. Um, and then three was a, uh, a a horror movie that I've had for years and years and years, maybe a decade, and have not watched. <laughs> when Hollywood videos went out of business, I would go there and just buy stacks of the Asian movies because nobody else was buying them. So this movie called Three, which is technically released as Three Extremes 2 in America. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> but it was made very similar to Missing in Action with, with uh, Charles Norris or Chuck Norris. Charles Norris. Please, <laughs> please. That's what the kids in elementary school called me. My name is Charles now. <laughs> <laughs> name so, is Charles so Morris. I shall deliver to you a house of the round kick. 
Queer <laughs> <Cool> face. <laughs> So, uh, three is a anthology horror movie uh, with a director from Korea, from Thailand, and from China, or I guess Hong Kong specifically. Uh, yeah, it's it's uh, not as good as Three Extremes One. We both watched last year for both Spooktober and for our anthology episode. We did uh, Cut, I think. Yeah, good memory. So last year, last uh, Spooktober, our special was a anthology horror special on our favorite bits. Uh, of anth- to sort of make our own anthology horror movie. Uh, this is not as good as that one, though I do really love the third segment, which is always great with an anthology movie. The third segment is best, because it really sucks when it's front-loaded, and you just have to, like, sit yeah. and, like, just fucking, like, all right, all right, get along with it. Uh, and then the other, the, the movie contending for second best of the month, next to Night of the Demon, is a Frank Hennenlotter movie called Brain Damage. There's this, like, weird drug slug thing that, like, forms a symbiotic relationship with this dude and it makes him like experience life better but also this little slug thing uh needs to eat brains so uh it's awesome if you haven't seen any frank hennenlotter movies like frankenhooker or whatever highly recommend those huh morgan uh what have you watched this month um i was saving it for this month and i finally caught it it was okay um, I was a little underwhelmed by it after all the hype. I think it might have actually hurt to be like, oh, I'll save this for Halloween. And, you know, all the hype and hype and hype. And then I saw it and I was like, ah. I could totally see how a movie could suffer from hype because, you know, there's, it, while it's really clever sometimes and it scares, yeah. it also sometimes just has a lot of shit running at you. Yeah, I, I think my main problem with it is it did the thing that a lot of modern horror movies do that I don't really like, where it's every time there was, like, something scary happening, it would play the, like, that like the it played the fucking inception bong every time something <laughs> spooky happened see i think i think it worked for that movie um i kind of kind of upped the intensity in the same way the inception music is supposed to from a uh thriller standpoint yeah. but in the room with like the creepy clowns uh the creepy clown dolls and like yeah. it's uh because the only kid I, kids i can remember the names of are bev and richie and i don't think it's either of them i think it was one of the white ones it was one of the white ones <laughs> yes um it's, it I was it's trash mouse richie yeah i've never read the book so my my character names are not on point for that movie but like for me who's never seen the miniseries and has never read the book it was so effective for me because in a probably a way it wasn't for most of the audience uh just because i didn't know where it was going i didn't know what was going to happen to anybody you know i had no frame of reference uh for a story that for probably you know i'd guess at least half the audience knew knew a general outline or like you know the details of an entire book right and i came from the opposite perspective where i'd seen the miniseries a bunch and i i've read the book i was pretty pleased with it measuring that against the fact that it is a big budget pop horror movie. Um, But yeah, I totally get how certain uh, cliches that it uses uh, could really kind of bring it down. Like, I didn't think it was a bad movie. I just, you know, everyone was hyping it up as, you know, this is a great, great horror movie, the great horror movie Halloween. And then I saw it and I'm like, it's good, but... So I was at a Haunted Hayride recently and it was so clowny, clowny, clown practically had Crispin Glover standing on the sidelines singing Clowny Clowny Clown because it's that clowny and that was kind of annoying but like 
judging the movie as its own thing that like is trying to adapt the themes of the book but like maybe not necessarily the specifics and also trying to give you some fun surprises as fans of the book i thought it worked well but like i totally see why that movie could disappoint people because it had to make some compromises yeah and i even though i like i said i really liked it um peter's right like i didn't think about what that movie's popularity would do to our haunted hayrides. <laughs> for sure. It would like, and that's the thing. Sometimes you don't think about the way that art affects everything around you. And like, I'm like, Oh, here's a good movie. And then I would go on my haunted hayrides as I do. And I'd be All like, right. well, look, look at what this has done. This is like the, the, the matrix for everything. But specifically for haunted hayrides. Look, look at what Teddy rise hath wrought. Yeah, he's he's kicked the cannibal witches out of my fucking haunted hayride, and it's <laughs> just clowns. After the Matrix, everyone was wearing those fucking sunglasses. Now the haunted hayrides finally have scary clowns, <laughs> <laughs> but like too many, uh, maybe too many. Uh, Morgan, uh, what? Uh, actually, no. You know what, Morgan? What are your thoughts on haunted hayrides? Um, I really like them. I. I uh, I brought up the uh, the Christmas band my parents used to work for, and one of the guys in it used to throw Manheim these like, huge ha- Halloween parties, and one of the things was a haunted haystack ride, and that was like my favorite thing to do, so I have a lot of nostalgia for haunted hay- haystack rides, but like the best thing I think I've ever seen on one was these cannibal witches who would like the hayride would stop, and they, these witches would come up to you and try to like get you to like hang out with them. And clearly, like, you aren't supposed to, because the dude driving the haystack would be like, okay, kids, seriously, sit down. Like, this is this is just a show. But, but it was really great, because they never told you they wanted to eat you. It was just like, come play with us, come play with us. And you had to, like, look over their shoulders to see, like, the hands sticking out of the cauldron and, like, the guts and blood everywhere. So That's I like awesome. the subtle, like, and not just haystack rides, but, like, haunted houses. Like, I like the subtle scares in those. Yeah, they can be too, they can be a little boomy. Yeah. Like, you want, like, someone's, someone just in the corner, there's, like, an opened envelope, and you see, like, you know, the words tax audit printed on it. <laughs> and you're like, oh, man, this guy's got a lot to worry about in the future. Like, yeah, I mean, Frankenstein's coming here, but I, I see that jury duty on his desk, man. That's, ooh, that's spooky. <laughs> what else do you watch? Um, I did recently see, I've been trying to watch some of the old Hammer movies, and uh, one of them, and I really like them, um, but w- the one I saw was, it was one of the Christopher Lee Dracula ones, but it wasn't just Dracula, it was like Taste the Blood of Dracula, or Blood of Dracula, or... It was like I one think, of the I like think Blood 20... of Dracula's one, yeah. I think Curse of Dracula. I can't remember. It's one of the sequels, but it was really memorable to me because he's only in it for like five minutes towards the yeah. end. It was like Christopher Lee, like just like uh, really busy, and they like he was probably playing like the mummy in another movie at the same time, and they were yeah, like, I assume I don't know, but he only like because <laughs> it's mostly the Van Helsing show, from what I remember. I saw this like a while ago when I was like half asleep but I was like I want to watch a spooky movie um but I do recall that where he has no lines but all of his facial expressions are amazing because they're all like the you know the classic Christopher Lee bug-eyed you know like he's so good him and I mean he's great as Dracula he's amazing but I was kind of disappointed because I was like I I am watching this Dracula movie and Dracula is nowhere to be found Um, yeah but it's one of them because wasn't he like 12 Dracula movies or some something crazy like that. 
Hammer, I don't know the exact number because I'm just getting into it as well, but Hammer would, uh, not to be too cute about it, but Hammer would literally like hammer these, these properties over and over again to the point where like, I've tried a half dozen times over the years to like learn the titles of these movies and it is so hard to remember. Though I watched a mummy movie recently and I still do not remember what that is like Curse of the Tomb of the Mummy and I just end up sounding like that Mr. Ske- the Mr. Show sketch where they're like Curse of the Bride of the Dracula's Tomb with the <laughs> I just end up sounding like that cuz I'm like I don't actually remember I need so yeah, I'm working on that this year to get more cuz I really do love that era of horror. It's like really charming and like it's it has the classicism of the the old movies, but it has yeah. like more modern touches, and it's got that great pinkish red blood. Yeah, it feels like a great like. It feels like the transition period between like your old school Universal monsters and like the slasher flicks. It feels it's really great. Yeah, it's like pre last like before Last House on the Left like kind of changed everything. It was like th- this was what horror was, and it's it- still still kind of spooky sometimes. Yeah, they they hold up really well. Um, I mean, it it also doesn't hurt that like I think like half the Misfits catalog is inspired by them. So yes, yes, that's true. <laughs> I did also see the Curse of Frankenstein, which is another horror Hammer horror, and it's great because the Frankenstein doesn't look like uh, stereotypical Frankenstein. He looks like what you'd think Frankenstein would look like based on the book, and he looks fucking horrifying. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Where he's they got like. Really... His eyes are all wonky, wonky, and like he's got the scars on his like brain. Oh, it's great. I love that. So, uh, any other any other watches? It's not kind of horror to my disappointment, but it is slugfest related. Um, love it. it was. I've been getting back into Dragon Ball lately, and I decided to rewatch some of the uh, TV movies that they made for Dragon Ball, and one of them was Lord Slug. Lord Slug. Lord Slug is a horrible movie. It's an hour <laughs> long. It's not worth it. Uh, the only slug in there is the dude named Slug, who is not an actual slug. He's like a slug man. And it's like maybe five minutes of story and 50 minutes of badly animated kung fu fights, which is basically Dragon Ball's MO. <laughs> which I love Dragon Ball to death. I, I uh, described it to a coworker as uh, the cartoon equivalent of comfort food because it's, you know, it, it, it's not good for you. Dragon Ball's not a good show for you. <laughs> yeah, like, it's not intellectually yeah. stimulating. It's not got a lot of flavor. But you know what? You like these characters. Uh, you like them beating up bad guys. And yeah, you like the bad guys enough to where if they get a few punches in, you're not so mad about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Morgan, I appreciate you bringing on uh, non-horror slug content. Um, I tried to right. diversify. I wanted I to diversify the content. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It helps, wow. us, it helps us have a more well-rounded uh, diet, but, you know, Aaron also uh, is an asshole. So we've yeah. got to keep both, both halves. October 10th, I'm going to say what I watched. I watched an additional nine movies... That's a total of 16. Where are you at? Um, as of today, October 10th, uh, I am at 15. Uh, I guess 14 new. So, I, Oh, so I'm at 16, 17 Which is, total. So, like, yes, yeah, it's, uh, it's higher. It's a, it's a little higher. It's, a, I'm just, it's two weeks in a row, a little higher. I, to be honest, I don't know how this train... Can't keep speeding along to the station before yours, but, you know, a couple more weeks, we'll see where we're at. Yeah, we'll just see. We'll just, you know what? We'll just fucking see. 
I don't want to put too fine a point of it, but I will cut off my own foot if there's any way you're able to top me, even for one week. <laughs> if you chop off your foot, is this conveniently timed with you having to get a foot removed because of gout? Look, Peter, I didn't want to talk about that on the podcast. <laughs> I don't think you can have, just to be clear, like gout is like a, like a arthritis. It's not like diabetes. <laughs> <laughs> like not to laugh at it, but you don't get your foot come out because you have a minor calcium buildup in one of your joints. <laughs> I just figured it was one of those civil war diseases where the doctors would come in and be like, I got a bone saw, I'm using well, it. Well, yeah, I mean, the civil war, that's all they did for all diseases. But nowadays, gout is really pretty mild all diseases in the civil war so like mm, got, you, you got yeah you got the uh the common cold there got to saw off your hand <laughs> like that and if you die i mean cold solved i mean yeah uh, that's that's all they want to do they want to cure they can't doctors can't stop death they just try to cure the disease yeah i cured you with the warm embrace of death um so I watched nine movies. One of them is It Comes at Night. We already talked about that. Have not talked about uh, The Entity, uh, which I don't even like. We would have to devote a three-hour episode to this movie. I will say um, it's very effective. It's very scary. Um, I think it handles the subject matter well, uh, which is, uh, but but it is not exactly a fun spooktober watch i would recommend watching it when you have some time to process and think about it it's not really good like i'm gonna watch three movies in one day and one of them is gonna be about ghost rape not it, it really is uh it's a tough watch but it but it, it it is about something very interesting as long as you take away everything that the movie is trying to portray because it is based on a quote-unquote true story but I do, I do think it portrays a very interesting take on how uh, women who are assaulted in our society are kind of uh, – they, they're not believed and they're, um, they're kind of cast aside and, and looked at as weirdos and chastened. So I think there's a, uh, an allegory in there if you completely ignore um, authorial intent. I also watch Pieces. From the director of Slugs. You're having a real J.P. Simone month, aren't you? Yeah, I might watch Pod People, and that's basically fucking it. <laughs> <laughs> You've completed his filmography. Uh, Pieces is a lot of fun. Not great, uh, but tons of fun. The Resurrected, Dan O'Bannon, uh, one of only two movies he directed, along with uh, Return of the Living Dead, one of my favorites. Does not rise to that level, but it is a pretty good adaptation of an H.P. Lovecraft story. Uh, Prevenge. Have either of you guys seen that one? Prevenge? It. It's like, a Pre Shudder exclusive, I believe. I haven't seen it yet. It's written, directed uh, by this Australian woman who I'm forgetting the name of, and it was her de debut feature. Uh, it also stars her when she was like seven months pregnant. It's basically huh. about a, a woman who's pregnant and her fetus is telling her to kill people. Interesting. Uh, Jesse Insider. It's, it's very funny. It's very good. Uh, definitely has the... Um, I'm very interested in what she's going to do next. It's it's like a great like three and a half, four star movie I want to see uh, with a little more experience behind the camera and stuff like that. Um, I think she's going to be able to make some uh, some really fantastic uh, Peter Jackson type uh, type horror movies. Uh, and, you know, it also was a, a great commentary on on the way a society sometimes treats uh, 
women who are pregnant as like a burden. Highly recommended. I watched uh, Dead Time Stories, which is one of those weird 80s anthologies that no one talks about, and was uh, but was resurrected through Screen Factory recently. I thought this was silly fun. Uh, not great. But I, I'd seen – I think maybe my expectations were really low because I'd seen some like one-star reviews on Letterboxd. And it was just – it was super goofy. It was just this idea of these uh, fairy tales being told by this wildly irresponsible uncle. But it had like a very low-budget goofy charm that uh, that I appreciated. Okay. Definitely not great. I think that's why Spooktober can be so, so good. It's like if I would have devoted my night to like I'm going to – I have two hours free in between, you know – being part of a family and uh, and going to work and all that stuff, I'm going to watch Dead Time Stories. I would have been like, no, I should have watched something much better. <laughs> yeah. When you block off time for a movie, you kind of yeah. – and you are, and the time is actually rare, it's way easier to hate something. Exactly. And, and for this, it's like, well, I, I watched this in like a set of three movies. And so it kind of – It works as kind of like a palate cleanser, but not so much as like the yeah. main attraction. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a perfect Spooktober when you're just when you're powering through through so many of these movies. It's like, especially like when you're wa- when you're watching stuff like The Entity or something. It's a good good change of pace. Yeah, I'll have to watch that one. I'll throw it in as a little uh, yeah, as a little palate cleanser. Next Dead week. time yeah. stories. I like the concept of like spooky fairy tales. That's kind of fun. Yeah, we need someone to do the Grimm's fairy tale thing. I think really well. Yeah, I'm I'm waiting for like a really good adaptation of Cinderella because the ending of Cinderella is fucking horrifying. And I should be clear, this is not a good version of that. This is a <laughs> this is a like the the story of Goldilocks and the Three Bears told as in like Goldilocks is this virgin who anytime anyone tries to kiss her, uh, she kills them with their psychic powers and then stacks their bodies up in their house. And the Three Bears are like bank robbers, so. Not quite the the classic Grimm or Hans Christian Andersen tales, but it's a take on them, I would say. Not like old school Cinderella where it's like, shit, the, the, the glass slipper isn't, isn't fitting. Gotta chop off my toes. <laughs> <laughs> and I watched uh, We Are the Flesh. That one's which a, a roughie. I I really liked it, but it is definitely tough watch. Uh, is the wiener real or fake in that movie? I don't know. I, didn't I, look I honestly couldn't tell. I actually, I did something that's kind of a creep move because it's not a porno. Yeah, there's like, you know, quote unquote, actual wieners in the movie and actual like penetration. It's just like a very like. Yeah, it's, it's, that's it's odd. Un- yeah, it's, it's definitely unsimulated sex, but. Um, I don't know if it's uh, Lars von Trier, where it's like he CGI'd porno actors on top of like his actors, or or if it's a fake dick. I don't know. I don't know enough. Whose dick is that? <laughs> it's probably not the best. It's, it's a nice to have, look. but I want to know whose dick. Whoever's it is. dick it is should be proud. Yeah. <laughs> Good dick, good dick. It is, it is a very convincing, like, post-apocalyptic nightmare sins of the flesh hellscape that has some, some fun twists. Fun isn't the right word. <laughs> has some twists around the way. I, I don't know if they're fun. They are surprising. I wouldn't describe um, them as fun either. Yeah, so we'll just, we'll leave that. And then, as we're going to do every week this Spooktober, it's time for... Kids Corner. You ready to try to remember the exact song we did last week? Kids Corner. Kids, we're talking about Kids Corner. But specifically about horror movies aimed at them. Aiming at those children with targeted marketing for children. 
not kids in the corner because they were punished. <laughs> uh, Morgan, um, uh, I, oh, do you, do you want me to throw in some guest verses on this kid's corner? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Special guest, Morgan, Runis, kid's Man, corner. you're putting me on the spot. I'm going to be like Iggy Azalea and be like, kid's corner. Yeah, unlike this fully rehearsed Marvel that we're putting. Yes, this fully rehearsed Marvel of kid's corner. Let your kids watch this great horror movie. Or maybe not. Maybe don't let your kids watch The Exorcist when they're five. That might be bad for the mental health. Morgan, did you watch The Exorcist when you were five? I did not. I did watch Rocky Horror Picture Show when I was five, and that screwed me up in very, very many ways. Very specific but ways, though. Positive ways. Yeah. Uh, so I watched The Monster Squad, and it was not that great. You didn't like Monster Squad? This is bad. Kids corn. <laughs> I, li- I, I liked Monster Squad. Uh, when did you? So it, it like was definitely. Ago. Oh, really? See, I, I was watching. I'm like, I would have liked this as a kid, probably. It has things I like. I used to love those uh, – Those I don't even know if you guys are probably too young to remember these books, but it felt like every library had these like universal monster books. They were like yellow uh, covered and they had like one on Godzilla, one on King Kong, one on Dracula. Uh, and so I, I ate those up and I watched the – you know, Dracula and Frankenstein as a young kid. So if I would have saw this in elementary school, I think I probably would have liked it. But at the same time, it felt like it suffered from – a good concept that they didn't do anything interesting with and the kids weren't all that interesting. And I mean, leaving aside some of the, you know, 80s homophobia and stuff like that, it just it really wasn't even that it, it wasn't that good. I, I didn't, it was like a Goonies situation for me. It felt like two of Spooktober. Stay tuned for next week and week three. Very exciting. The number of weeks is going up. I'll tell you what, this is just, I'm throwing out a guess. I say, unlike clowns at a hay, haunted hayride, mm-hmm. we stop at five of these weeks. I agree. I agree. And you know, while we're counting, uh, we're counting uh, numbers, uh, you know what's, uh, there's a lot of in numbers in this movie? What else would we be counting? Slugs. <laughs> yeah, you can't even count the slugs in this movie because there's so many. <laughs> Infinite slug potential. You'd go one, <laughs> two, three. Oh, I give up. Too many slugs. <laughs> Are you guys ready to talk about the Too Many Slugs movie? Slither. Let's get into this, Slither. Let's slug it up. Ah, <laughs> oh. oh, that voice. It is, it is painful. I turn into a teenage goo-goo muck I cruise through the city and I roam the streets Looking for something that is nice to eat You'd better duck when I show up The goo-goo muck Peter, I think your alternate taglines, please keep doing it in this voice. (laughs) It actually doesn't matter. Do whatever you feel is right. (laughs) We're true partners on this enterprise. None of us are the boss. (laughs) Keep on slugging in the free world.
Um, and there's also uh, slug-based colonialism is the most adorable colonialism. Watch slugs ruin a perfectly shitty marriage. <laughs> Watch a perfectly shitty marriage. Watch slugs ruin oh, a perfectly man. shitty I thought, marriage. I thought it was a love story torn apart by slugs. <laughs> it seemed like they had it all together. Crazy, offensive misogyny, controlling and abusive behavior. <laughs> Yeah, um, Grant Grant is, among other things, uh, not a good guy in this film, I would say. Uh, Aaron, do you want to sort of run with that? Yeah, so for example, in like a 90-second recap situation. Hypothetically um, speaking. Hypothetically. So, alien slug, I guess. Mm -hmm. It's not really, it's like an alien pencil. Mm -hmm. uh, lands on Earth. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it, this guy named Grant... Uh, played by the great actor Michael Rooker, he gets he gets penciled in the stomach. He starts acting a little weird. His wife Starla, uh, played by Elizabeth Banks, is like, "Honey, normally you're just uh, abusive and controlling because you married me because I was younger, and you think everyone in this town wants to uh, do do the do the sex with me, and so you have uh, cornered me off." But now. You're acting even a little stranger by killing and eating animals and making a meat palooza in the basement. Meat palooza, um, got it. Meat palooza. Meanwhile, uh, a, a, a kind of Nathan Fillion type character played by Nathan Fillion is well, okay. uh, yeah, perfect. He's like he has a little bit of a torch for Starla. Like, oh, I love her so much. She is the best. But she's married to this guy, and so I just just focus on my coppin. And crosswalk watching and drinking at the bar. So, uh, meanwhile, uh, Grant decides to move on beyond just uh, eating people. He also transforms into a hideous monster. Uh, starts uh, impregnating with his slug babies uh, one of the local local neighborhood ladies. Uh, she eventually grows pretty. I'd say, you know, you know, like a tennis ball. Peter, you know about those? Uh, yes. Uh, are those the balls they play tennis with, or are they different? Oh yeah, the very same. Got it. Uh, so like one of those one of those balls you play tennis with. Okay. Uh, but like like if it if it could fit an entire barn and then like had a head at the end, that's how big this lady uh, blows up uh -huh. with slug babies. So bigger than a tennis ball. Way bigger. How like, many that's tennis what I'm balls do you think you could fit inside this uh, large uh, woman woman ball thing? Woman ball. I would say at least five. At yeah, least a, five. That's a safe estimate. Uh, at okay. least five is a safe estimate. Um, it might I mean, be. I'm going to go with six. I'm going Price is Right rules. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Morgan's going to do at least six. Yeah. Uh, one one <laughs> tennis ball. So they all go. Grant Grant has transformed to a tentacle monster who's killing livestock. They track him down in this barn. And then uh, this this woman, she blows up. And all these slugs come out, and then they get in people's mouths, and then it turns into a zombie movie. Now there's all these zombies that are not just mindless zombies, but are actually, like, the Borg to Grant's Borg queen, um, where he's controlling all of them, like tentacles. And they realize that uh, Grant's actually now a space alien who goes from world to world, and... Uh, consumes or takes over every every life form until he moves on to the next one. Classic asshole alien behavior. Like, you know, like the ID4 aliens, for example, did this. Other aliens that you've heard of that aren't coming to me right now. Uh, all the favorites. Invasion and of the Body then, Snatchers. Did they, but did they consume worlds and then move on? I feel like, I feel like this wasn't their, like, first world. 
Why would you think that the Earth would be, like, the first go-around? I don't know. We had uh, Pong. <laughs> or were we, like, the test ground? No, yeah, I don't know. Maybe they just wanted to – that's how they travel. That's like a vacation for the body snatchers aliens. <laughs> It's like the beta testing of the body snatch. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, um, we, got, we got to make sure. Got to make sure it works. Yeah. I mean, Before you go into a big world. Just go have a fun, fun spa day. You know. <laughs> Placing a person in, uh, with a plant creature. Uh, anyway, you know, Earth's so, got super targets. You know, it's it's real easy to take over an Earth when oh you got a super God, target. Groceries and toys. Exactly. <laughs> Get a DVD. A Blu-ray. Get a nice kayak. And a milk. Yeah. And they actually uh, sustain themselves off of pornography, this alien race. <laughs> so we've got more than they could ever consume. I thought you were talking about Target for a second there. I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. What Vice article are you what? reading? I was trying to think of what the human race has, has made the most of, and it's definitely pornography. Or pornography. greenhouse gases. One of the two. Or Beanie Babies. Or Classic Beanie Babies. Classic 90s joke. Oh, uh, oh. <laughs> Uh, so anyways, so uh, they, they track down Grant. They have this plan to blow him up because they realize, hey, this if we kill Grant, everyone else dies. Uh, they eventually do that, but not at first. They they jump through some hoops, some unexpected things that occur. Uh, and uh, but then Grant blows up and they they walk out their white picket fence. Nathan Fillion. Elizabeth Banks and literally corpses strewn across everywhere. They walk uh, into the sunset over the bodies of the entire town. Yeah, it's great. Uh, it's wonderful. So it's it's so it's from 2005. James Gunn's first non-trauma movie, first real, uh, first real movie that he directed. Uh, they directed. Yeah. Well, I thought he did one for Troma called um, Tromeo and Juliet. He co-directed it and wrote it. Oh, I didn't know he did co-directed it. I thought he only wrote it. Yeah, he was like an assistant director or something okay. on it. That was kind of where he uh, got his training as a director and as a screenwriter is working in the, the Tromeo sweatshops. Yeah. Um, and yeah, then well, I know... No, sorry, Troma sweatshops. Excuse me. Not the Tromeo. Tromeo. <laughs> um, I want to say he got this film off the back of the Dawn of the Dead remake. He did. The yes. Dawn of the Dead remake was a huge hit. He wrote the script for it. And um, yeah, I want to say real quick, just on James Gunn thoughts. Um, I didn't like James Gunn at first because I had big Too spiky of hair. Too spiky of hair. Uh, I had big problems with the Dawn of the Dead remake. And I, I, I ultimately like it now, but like I had big script problems with it. And I blamed a lot of them on him because like I can, I see it as like a mostly well executed movie, but like uh, some of the running zombie stuff and the zombie baby and stuff like the, the whole third act before they decide they have to leave the mall is kind of a mess. And so I wasn't a big James Gunn fan movie, uh, J James Gunn fan. And then this movie, made me want to see everything that he would make in the future. It's funny because I, I, I really felt like I was on the gun train from the beginning. I, I think I knew that he directed Dawn of the Dead remake, which I loved. Or not directed, sorry, wrote. It, yeah, it was a Snyder movie. It's one of the few Snyder movies that people don't hate. <laughs> it was well, Snyder's, it was where... I think it was his first movie too. Uh, so I, I, I loved Slither. I think I saw it in theaters. Uh, and then tracked down Super when it was on demand and was so fucking excited for what James Gunn was going to do next. And surprisingly, 
he went on to do, I would say, up there with the Captain America movies for, like, the best, like, miniseries in the Marvel movies, mm-hmm. uh, Guardians of the Galaxy movies. They are far and away my favorite of the Marvel movies. I think they have the most, they're the most memorable, for sure, especially. They're the, they have, they're the funniest in the most legitimate ways, not just, like, dad humor. They have the greatest visual palette so far. We'll see with Thor Ragnarok, that might give them a run for their money. Uh, Morgan, were you surprised at the time when they chose James Gunn for this? Because it's a... Kind of. um, Yeah, I was definitely surprised because I was first introduced through James Gunn. I was in... uh, I was graduating high school when... I think, I think I was graduating high school when Kick-Ass came out and I saw Kick-Ass in the theaters and I was like, oh man, a deconstruction of superheroes is going to be sweet. And it sucked. I hated it. Um, and then one of my friends, I, but anyway, he was like, dude, okay, what you were telling me you wanted in Kick-Ass, I just saw this, found this movie. It's called Super. You need to check it out. And I'm like, okay, all right, I'll give it a shot. And I saw it and I loved it. Super is an amazing movie. Super um, is so fucked up, though. Like, I thought he yeah, was Oh, be- oh my god, it's horrifying. It's a horrifying movie, but it's what I wanted out of Kick-Ass, where it was, like, it, uh, showing off just how fucking horrible it would be if you were a superhero in real life. Because, I mean, it kind of has a happy ending, but... Yeah, because the thing about Kick-Ass is that it does get Kick-Ass to be a superhero, and Super never really gets... Like, it there. gets less sad. It gets less bit. sad, but, I mean, like, it ends with... Um, this it's is a theme triumphant. I... triumphant. <laughs> It's not triumphant. I mean, he. it's a movie where the hero, a happy ending for the hero is like his girlfriend leaves him and the one true friend he had, Ellen Page, rapes him. Like, that's not a happy ending. It is a fucked up movie. And it is a movie I remember watching it. And when it was over, I was like, what What did I just watch? And then the idea, and I thought we were going to have, because Slither is pretty fucked up too. There's a lot of fucked up stuff going in Slither. Yeah. And I thought we were going to have our next genre provocateur in James Gunn, which, you know, we might still have in the future. Uh, Belko Experiment wasn't super provocative, but it was, you know, a nice meme. I liked it. But I wonder if part of that is that he didn't direct it. He only wrote it. Maybe, but I mean, yeah, Greg McLean directed I, it, too, and he's a pretty fucked well, up filmmaker, too. <laughs> yeah. But I think one thing that James Gunn has on Greg McLean and a lot of directors is that And you can say it's an 80s aesthetic or whatever, but he has a very strong, like, aesthetic-based storytelling where he's not necessarily doing a really, really original stuff, but he does know exactly the right things to borrow from to make an amazing movie. And I... I'm not someone who cares when these people, these these directors take, like, oh, I'm just going to make an 80s crazy horror movie, like a Slither, or I'm going to make... Uh, uh, Star Wars. I'm going to make a Marvel Star Wars movie. Like, that's fine. Like, you don't need to reinvent the wheel every time. But to take all these elements um, that interest him of movies that he liked and kind of spin them into these these entertaining narratives, uh, these funny narratives that always have, like, their tongue, not fully in cheek, but at least sticking out of the side a little bit. You know, it, they're, they're so good. They're so enjoyable uh, to watch. And, and if he would have maybe directed something like the Belko experiment, I think it becomes less of a Greg McLean, Wolf Creek gritty version and more of like a corporate satire. Yeah, that's true. Based on where his decade of movie interest lies, the eighties, uh, maybe it's like a, a horror version of wall street. Yeah. Like, I'd fucking see that movie. Cause Greg McLean is not a funny director. 
Um, no. And he has a very mixed bag filmography. Like, I really like Wolf Creek, but, like, I do not like some of the other stuff he's done. Oh, Rogue is terrible. Yeah. I hate Rogue. I agree with you. Maybe James Gunn would have made it more of a satire, made it more cutting or whatever. I like Belko Experiment as it is, but yeah, yeah. I, I guess the point is, what we're trying to say is that uh, this was a surprising career move, I think, at least to me. what At the time, I think, I thought he was just going to make these fucked up little genre movies for a long time. Well, and this one, it came out 2006, felt unique. Doesn't feel as unique now. It's not, it's still as good. But I remember seeing this and reading reviews at the time that were overwhelmingly positive. And it was like, oh, it's like a, another Sam Raimi movie. It's like a Peter Jackson, Sam Raimi, 80s horror comedy. So much so that I saw this movie described as just a, oh, it's a comedy. It's not a horror movie. It's a comedy. It is very funny. It's very very funny, funny. but I I definitely think it's like a kind of Evil Dead 2 kind of funny where it's like there's a lot of horrifying things that happen. You have to laugh so you don't scream sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't even think I think I think calling it an Evil Dead 2 comedy is is not even fair to this movie. And that's not obviously Evil Dead 2 is great. I don't mean it as an insult, but this this movie doesn't it's not a parody. It just is a kind of we talked about with Night of the Creeps. It is a horror movie, a, a real horror movie that is winking a little bit to the audience. But most of the humor is uh, is based on people's deadpan reactions to extreme situations. Uh, you know, Nathan Fillion. Uh, the mayor who just is – we're going to talk about him, my favorite character of the movie, but where he he is he is incensed at how ridiculous everything is and and is handling it a little uh, uh, like someone who's like, fuck this. This is nuts. Why is this happening? So it's – yeah, it's all just, just really good. But it, it did come out when there was a dearth of – that movie, the full like '80s, let's make '80s splashy, gross horror movies, uh, wasn't really back in vogue yet. And let's just start there because this movie is fucking gross. It is such oh, yeah. a gross movie in a very positive way. <laughs> I mean that as a compliment. But holy shit, even rewatching it this time, I was fucking hungover as all shit. I went to a Pixies concert the night before. I was like, oh, my God, I need to pause this for a second so I don't throw up. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's so gross. Oh, yeah. Well, well, what's great about it is that, like, yeah, all the monsters are super disgusting. And, like, uh, I think the grossest scene is still, like, the the birthing of the leeches scene or the where it's, you know, the giant human woman explodes and there's, like, millions of leeches pouring out. But I, what I think is great is even in the beginning, it's kind of gross because all these people just – there's a little bit of, like, weird grittiness and dirt to all these people that I, yeah. I, I think was kind of indicative of, like, James Gunn's – first two movies because super had it too where it's like they're normal people and normal people are kind of weird and gross yeah in a way that hollywood stars aren't i do think that there's some laughing at middle america stuff in this uh yeah after the 2008 collapse feels a little mean-spirited and then feels less mean-spirited after the trump election but shitting on small towns sometimes feels mean-spirited i'm from the midwest uh <laughs> Aaron is from the Midwest. I don't. I, don't, it does, I think we're all from yeah. the Midwest. Does it? It doesn't feel like shitting on to me at all. Like it feels. I don't want to go as far as say it's like John Waters esque, where it's like it's funny that it exists, but we're not laughing at it. But it, it feels. 
in that kind of like category, if that makes any sense. It is trying to laugh at the assholes, but give dignity to the good people. So like, yeah. um, they, so sort of Nathan Fillion and Elizabeth Banks characters and a bunch of the other people, even some of the cops have a sense of dignity and a set that like, they're funny people that are trying to be funny, which is like a different thing than like funny people that you laugh at. These aren't clowns, um, which I really yeah. appreciate. I really appreciate. So I, I think the whole point of the movie and why it works so well is that everyone knows each other. So when when people start getting taken over by Grant um, and they're they're having these like conversations of Grant through them, he knows all of the characters that are voicing his or are uh, verbalizing his thoughts and voice. And they all have specific instances with the other characters they're talking to. So I think I think for this whole idea of kind of a like um, a queen or king based like society where everyone is just an appendage. I think I think that adds a lot to to the both the humor and the why the situation people feel bad shooting people and killing people because they're not mindless people in the crowd. That's the person who taught someone fourth grade and that's someone's piano teacher and that's where we go to the general store to pick up stuff. I do want to get back to something you said, Morgan, about how sweaty these people are because I do think that Greg Henry, who plays the mayor – uh-huh. Uh, I recognize him mainly from Payback. And then yep. Michael Rooker are two of the sweatiest actors I think we've ever had. Those yes. those two always look like they need a really good bath to make them still pretty sweaty, but like maybe a little less. Like appealingly sweaty, which I think works to Michael Rooker's favor in this movie. Because he only spends like five minutes as actual like Michael Rooker in the rest of the movie. He's like the weird, creepy alien. So the... The whole fact that he's like constantly looks sweaty, constantly looks like he's maybe gone one too many days without a bath works really well in his favor. Like especially in that scene uh, towards the beginning where he's like meat, where he's in the supermarket. It's just so deliciously like weird and creepy to me. He's just like shining like he's kind of dirty. And I think that's great. Michael Rooker is one of our, our greatest character actors, and he embodies Grant Grant so much in this movie. Like, I think Grant Grant is a very important character because, mostly because of how it speaks to uh, Starla. Hmm. Grant Grant and Starla's relationship is the center of the film. It starts with them and ends with them. Nathan Fillion holding a candle for her isn't really that important to the movie ultimately it's just that he really wants to protect her and that's why he's with her on her journey yeah it's just character building because they don't even get together at the end yeah which yeah. i was kind of happy about i kind of like it because he's it's not like he's like stepping on their marriage or like trying to be a creep and he's not like sexually uh you know pursuing her in a way that's uncomfortable or like flirting with her or anything while they're going through their chaos uh the 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 fact that he used to have a crush on her is more is not about those two or their relationship or them getting together it's about uh how michael rooker perceives the fact that uh, any any previous attraction or feelings is something that even 15, 20 years later needs to be controlled and protected. Yes. And I think that the I agree. And I think that the uh, watching Nathan Fillion clearly be in love with her. They have some chemistry there and a history and Nathan Fillion completely peeling back, both them peeling back from that actually makes them more charming. Like as like a, both the characters make them more charming because like it's not it's not played off as some sort of like lascivious sexual relationship. It's played off as like a cute childhood crush that like both of them can't quite put to bed. So 
let's let's get into Grant Grant. So he's a strange character because he has a shitty sense of consent. Uh, he's not completely villainized like through the movie, which is weird. Like they they give him a sense of like sadness as the movie goes on. Like he has a shitty sense of consent, uh, which is really terrible. Um, and he, he yet he's loyal to his wife, but like very very possessive. Well, he's kind of loyal. Like that's I mean. He goes to, so like, he, into, he decides he's, like, going to go hook up with a woman, and then... Just what, because as soon they as get it, in a mild fight. And then as soon as they, yeah. they're about to do something, he's like, no, I can't. Yeah, but he went out specifically to, like, oh, we're not going to have sex tonight when I want to. I'm going to go out to this bar, and he immediately starts hitting on the nearest girl, and then he does have some, you know, pangs of guilt, and, and he stops himself. But even just that whole idea of, oh, really? Fuck you? I'm going to go... I'm a powerful rich man that I people are attracted to, and I'm going to go find someone else tonight. I, I just I think that the reason that they peel, pull back from that a little bit, and also in the bar, they're not they're not uh, depicting him as a dude on the hunt. Uh, uh, the woman that liked him came up to him while he's like sitting, just, yeah. like, drinking away his sorrows, and then when they're in the woods, like I said, he he pulls back after they kiss. James Gunn is adding a sense of color to the situation that like makes you understand that like while he is a piece of shit, he can, he has like a commitment to Starla, and like he he feels like she's someone special. So that's why the whole movie, when he like is giving her a little bit more leeway than he's giving other people in town, and she's like the one person that can get close enough to defeat him that it's sort of the movie establishing that he's weak for her that he can't help but want to come home to her and he is deeply in love with her but just in a very shitty possessive way but see i kind of saw that as definitely in a shitty possessive way but i even think the the idea of love is is a little muddled there because i kind of see this like the the thesis of this movie is like trying to control the uncontrollable both they're trying to stop the spread of this seemingly insurmountable alien slug-based virus. And, you know, how do you do that? They keep getting, you know, when more and more people are getting infected, more and more people and turning. And then Grant is trying to maintain his relationship by, like, controlling Starla, like controlling her actions, controlling her what she does, controlling uh, every part that he can And how um, that you just can't control people in a way like... No, I think you're onto something. I think the whole movie is a metaphor for like being able to accept the fact that you can't control certain things in your life. Whether that's the people that you love or like the unrelenting... I don't know what you call it. Uh, tidal wave of slug monsters trying yeah, to well, kill you. Yeah, exactly. But like tidal wave of like nature, of like an environment, of like viruses. Like there is a little bit about letting go and and accepting that you cannot hold something so tightly without it slipping through your grip. I want to add out of that. So the slugs are all drone to the Grant monster. And I call it the Grant monster, like Grant hyphen monster, because... He still possesses a lot of Grant. Because it yeah. is it is Grant's id, Grant's weaknesses, Grant's shittiness, his animal sense, something like that, uh, his draw, but um, coupled with a power, coupled with a sense of shame that he's a sort of freak, uh, at least early on, not so much later. Later, it's all rage. But he, that is, that's the same thing. Like, the monster can't even fully control Grant, if the if the monster were purely a like a, a colonizer of planets, um, then it would definitely just subsume Grant 
be much more efficient in its job. Like the only reason it loses is because Grant's weakness for Starla allows her to get close enough where the team can kill him. So if the monster had more control over him, then that wouldn't have happened. Yeah, I the relationship's interesting to me because the whole like weird consent thing at the beginning, I didn't know if it was because it was 2006 and that kind of area consent was not muddled and I felt kind of gross about that or if it was trying to betray him. Like, I, I thought it was kind of betrayed oddly to me. Like, it tried to make him seem like not a great person, but at the same time make him sympathetic because he's having marital problems. And I was like, I felt a little like confused by what the movie was trying to portray him as in that scene. I, I remember seeing it in 2006 and I did not see it as sympathetic at the time okay fair enough that i think everything with that grant does i i feel sympathetic to him only in the sense that starla is bound to him so like starla feels bad that she feels sexually inadequate to him so i felt bad in that moment because i felt bad for starla like i felt bad that like he was they were in this moment where he was like really sensitive where he's like i just you know we've been having sex and and she's like oh well now i feel like shit like i felt bad for her not for him yeah um but okay, every time i've enough. seen it every time i see it but i totally get what you're saying okay. we're like they're they're they are trying to instill some sympathy in grant grant but not but yeah i don't think that was that moment in particular was like Okay, yeah, like, I I actually, I don't think they're trying to do sympathy, or at least based on my read on it. I don't think they're trying to, to give sympathy for Grant. I think they are trying to demonstrate markers where his character change is. Mm. So, so, like, when, instead of being the type of person that would go and have sex with Brenda and actually cheat on his wife, even if he goes right up to that level and then doesn't, then when he's infested by this kind of monster that has all these desires we see that he takes the next step so i i I think it almost is supposed to give you a quick okay here's what he's like here's everything you need to know about him and that's going to be important because we're going to change his character quite a bit and you need to see that progression before we start showing the physical signs of his possession fair enough Okay, that's fair. They are instilling a little bit of sympathy, though, to, to, like a, a little bit of a counter argument, because I think that they want to instill a sympathy of like, it's not so much that he didn't get to get off that you feel sympathy for. It's that their marriage is falling apart. And yes, he, that's and how this, I read it. He's this inept dummy that doesn't know why. <laughs> Yeah, that's how kind of how I read it. Like, I didn't feel bad. Like, whatever, you didn't get sex, dude. I don't care about that. But yeah. what I was like was like, it was the moment where he's like, when are you ever in the mood? And I'm like, oh, oh, maybe there's some deeper issues here that we're not like, maybe, but I, I don't know. My sympathies um, are always with Starla, but I do have some for, for Grant Grant in the sense that like just a human level, I think you're supposed to feel bad for him being in this marriage where she clearly wants to leave him or clearly, but like feel such a sense of loyalty to him that she can never do that. Yeah, and I feel more sympathy for her, obviously, but I I did feel like the movie was trying to make him somewhat sympathetic, so you felt kind of bad when he turned into, like, a horrifying squid flesh blob. Which is kind of a universal um, horror thing, or a hammer horror thing. Yeah. Like you, you, you feel bad for these, these things that turn into a monster, but they are 100% monsters. Right. I kind of disagree with you in that the first scene that they show of Grant is the scene at the school where Starless teaching and he's like literally walks up and the second that that bell rings, grabs both of her arms, walks her, stops her from talking to people and physically puts her in the car. If that scene didn't exist, I would agree with you guys 
But because that scene exists, they are almost like demonstrating from the get go that this is a controlling, possessive uh, man who like won't even let her give a, a goodbye to her colleagues without going, oh, we know what he wants. And then like literally holding her into the car. Which, by the way, that colleague that scene- is James Gunn. Yes. Yes, yes, I know. <laughs> but um, but like that scene doesn't exist. I buy your um, I buy the argument that the movie is trying to portray him with a modicum of sympathy because that the scene that we've been talking about with the consent uh it comes after that first moment we meet him i don't i i think we're supposed to feel sympathetic for for starla and in no way necessarily we're supposed to feel sympathetic i i think i I, I think the movie has sympathy for him on the small level just as a human base like level i think the movie at least wants you to identify with him on a human level it doesn't want to completely dehumanize him but it definitely does not want to ignore the fact that he is a possessive person they have a shitty relationship and he is largely the reason they have a shitty relationship um maybe like 99 percent of the reason they have a shitty relationship the 1% is that she doesn't leave him. <laughs> yeah, the yeah, 1% I, is that she married Yeah, him. Yeah, I don't, I don't think the movie's trying to say he's, like, a great person, but I do think it's trying to establish, like, some level of sympathy, because if it was just a movie where we see this huge asshole get turned into a monster, then there's, like, no reason to feel... I feel like the tension's out of the, out of the movie, yes, because be now hollow, it's just man. like, well, I didn't give a shit about him. He can but turn see, into I a monster for all I, I care. I disagree with that, because I think the tension comes to the fact that in these small communities, people like Grant, who are like low key monsters before turning into a monsters, like how much they affect uh, and can be affect the community and can be seen as like pillars of the community. Like Grant, you know, was well to do, had a big house, probably donated a lot of money, paid taxes, was buddy buddy with the mayor, stuff like that. And it kind of so the sympathy is from is from all the other characters, be it Starla or everyone else, in the fact that they have had to. You know, live in this in this world where people like Grant, people like the mayor, uh, dumb people like the mayor or, you know, kind of rich, like weird conservative loners or whatever you want to call it, uh, you know, kind of control a lot of stuff and they take what they want and they leave the rest for everyone else, which is a problem anywhere. But especially in these kind of small communities, um, I I don't know, like, I, I think the sympathy is meant for. People like Grant's influence and on on the community as a whole, whether it be individual people or or like you know the police team or anything. Yeah, so I think right. I think I think we all agree that the, the sympathy is mostly with Starla. No, yeah, yeah. My whole point here was just basically that her refusing to give up on him is sort of the dramatic crux of the movie. Yeah, because she is she is. Uh, I mean, you could probably say she's an emotional abuse victim. Yeah. She's got a sense of binding to him, but she is, like, in love with him, even though she he's just, like, such a controlling piece of shit. Um, she just keeps trying and trying, and that, like, gives you... Um, it gives you sympathy for her for, like, not giving up on a thing, but, like, also you get so excited as she starts to break from his control. That is the narrative crux yeah. of the movie. Yep. Agreed. Let's let's talk about all of the really good, gross '80s fucking touches because oh my god, there's there, I don't even know where to begin. Do we? You begin with the Brenda scene, which is like famous for a reason. Do you talk about the bathtub scene, or do you even talk about one of my low key favorites? And the only time I think this movie does kind of approach Evil Dead Two territory, uh, the weird 
boxing match with the with the slugged deer in the police station. Yeah, that's well. Like, I mean, the poster has the bathtub scene, so it might 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 as well start there because yeah, that's like the that. advertisement. I was surprised at how much I liked it because when the movie first came out, I re- I remember I had like no interest in seeing it at all because the poster had the bathtub and like all the ads had it. And I thought it was going to be this like really crappy, schlocky, you know, sexploitation thriller. And the bathtub scene is actually like really nicely done and not that it's exploitive in the right way where it feels like a nice eighties callback and not, no, not super gross to me. I agree. The, the scary part is the vulnerability, not not like oh here's our chance to show some nudity just for the here's the nudity. boobs in the movie yeah exactly like it's not that like it's the you know this person caught unaware and has to react quickly and I actually really liked it it's I was surprised I thought it was gonna be the scene I hated the most in the movie and it's actually <laughs> maybe one of my top three I, it's great I think the whole farmhouse sequence is great is this the first time you've seen this movie. Yes, this is the only James Gunn I haven't I hadn't seen. I um yeah, this is the only uh I that's actually why I was like, "Oh, I'll watch Slither cuz oh. I it was kind of a blind spot on my list." Okay. Um but yeah, I I'd always kind of avoided it because that is the poster and it always it always looked kind of generic and schlocky to me and the yeah. Only reason I kind of got on board was like, "Oh, wait, James Gunn directed this?" Okay. Hmm. But anyway, no, I really like the bathtub scene because it's really well shot it's horrific when it starts like the little slug in the bathtub just like oh it looks so weird and creepy swimming towards her um and then uh it has a great effect kill i think when she uh she takes the curling iron and like roasts the slug alive i think that's great yeah, I think some of the effects have aged pretty well. I think the CGI yeah. has generally aged really well. The only time it doesn't look good is when there's, like, a ton of slugs crawling on somebody. But when it's individual slugs, like like you just mentioned with the curling iron, I think the effects look really good still, even... Well, I think the curling iron one is actually a puppet, because the, the goo yeah. that's coming out looks like it's casting oh, like, shadows. Oh, yeah, that's probably, that's probably true. Um, what do you think about the bathtub scene, Peter? Uh, I think it's great. I think that... Uh, there's a bathtub scene coming up on next week's episode that is, uh, I think... I got some problems with that one! Yeah, I have some problems with that one (laughs) because uh, it's more focused on the sexual invasion aspect of it than a vulnerability. We don't identify with that particular character on as much of a human level. It's just sort of like a beautiful woman. Uh, In this, it's supposed to be this, like, teenager, and she's, like, in this family, and, like, this... I don't know, it's like kind of charming Midwest family. Like They're the most unironically likable characters in the movie, and they die in five minutes. Yeah, and they kill those kids, too. They kill their little sisters. Th- that's full of surprises on a lot of levels. And like you said, they're, they're unironically a really likable family, which usually when they have sacrificial lambs in this movie, they don't bother making you like them. If you like them, it's purely because you like human beings. Aside from Nathan Pillion and Elizabeth Banks, they're like the most likable characters in the movie, and they die instantly. <laughs> Yeah, it, when she's running to try to like save her two little sisters in like uh, little s- twin beds next to each other, you know, they're you're like, oh my god, they're not gonna, oh, oh, they're immediately dead. Oh, never mind. Um, and the fact that then they bring them back as like these 
goofy appendages of, of Grant almost immediately is, is hilarious and all the different ways they try to like guilt her into joining the family again by being possessed by a slug monster is hilarious. Oh yeah. Uh, not used to talking zombies that much. Talking zombies can be really, really scary. They're like, don't you want to be a part of the family fun day? And like the little girls like sort of like mocking her through the window. Like that is so, that is some of the scariest stuff in the movie is, is there the, the people talking like they're still human, but they're controlled completely by Grant. It's family fun day. That's why I brought up the evil dead comparison earlier is that I think aside from the first two evil dead movies, I think this one is the one that does talking zombies the best. I think yeah. the worst talking zombies are Planet Terror is Planet Terror from Robert Rodriguez, where it's zombies talk by talking in really dumb callback cliches. No, in this one, it's really weird and really creepy. Uh, it's weird because they're all Grant, but they all they're tailored just yeah. enough to whatever that appendage is to make it like personal and weird and creepy. Yeah, and, it, and it's uh, and, and there it also when everybody is turning as drones to talk to Starla in terms of Grant, it is so uncomfortable because it's like supposed to be this like intimate conversation, and it, and it is a total great example of how the Grant consciousness has binded with the monster consciousness, the slug consciousness, because like mm. the slug consciousness doesn't care that it's speaking through people Starla knew and trusted. It's, it's, yeah. It doesn't seem to care, but Grant clearly wants to speak to her, wants to bring her back into the fold, and it's it's half intimidation, half like it needs her to not leave him. And it's that stuff, is that sort of like patheticness is really creepy. So, so powerful, but also pathetic. Yeah, it's so good, and it also kind of serves a, a, a practical purpose, too, in that Grant, as he's like morphed into the this uh, room-filling uh, tentacle blob monster, his mouth has been, like, opened and sort of f- both stretched and fused in a way where he can't really open it and he can only grunt. So it's not just that he's using all of his new drones and appendages just for, like, horror movie effect, but he's also using it because that is literally the only way he has to verbally communicate with the quote-unquote love of his life anymore. Yeah, I will say that. I really like the look of just the monster Grant at the end, because I... Oh, yeah. I know the appendages are CGI, but it looks like the main body is all classic latex and goo it looks great i can't imagine the conversation because it does look like it's michael rooker in there too yeah i i can't imagine that was a fun conversation to convince michael rooker to like just get in this i don't know 72 hours of makeup i don't know what it takes but get in this monster mountain of flesh there's gonna be like six people in there with you it's gonna make Jabba the Hutt look like a uh, Vogue model. <laughs> yeah, Jabba the Hutt looks absolutely svelte compared to Grant Grant, which is this sort of amorphous blob of a parts and appendages and limbs and tentacles and teeth. It's like if a human being was able to be stretched uh, like silly putty. Like his face is stretched, he, like random parts are kind of torn off him into other appendages. It's great. Yeah, big fan. I love his general transformation. At first, he's it's sort of just like impulses and secrets. He can't tell anyone, so it has like that much control over him that like he's not going to a doctor or maybe he feels a sense of shame over it like i said earlier it knows what he knows which is important like it it is the consciousness is being bound 
Yeah. It looks like this, this like amorphous pinkish, pinkish blob. And it starts with an act of home, like not a home invasion. I guess he's welcomed in the home, but I guess it is a home invasion because she doesn't know what she's welcoming into her home. And yep. he turns uh, this woman into his breeding stock or whatever. They call her like yeah. a mother or something like that. They turn this, this woman into the, the mother and it's in this really great montage uh, with the mayor saying, let the hunt begin uh, over this like, awful act of violence and a dance happening where Nathan Fillion and Starla are innocently dancing and everybody's enjoying deer cheer, which I think people enjoying deer cheer is like the movie walking back some of the, I think it opens with a lot of cynicism and I think the movie sort of walks it back a little bit with Bill Party, Nathan Fillion's character. Because he is definitely a member of the town. He's not an outsider who's like looking in and making shitty, snivelly comments. Yeah. He's charming, but he's not a douche. Um, he's an authority figure, but not on a power trip. And he's not too officious. Yeah. He's not too worried about like following the law to the letter of the law. He's like town dad is yeah. what it feels like. While he has a job and wants to save his friends and wants to save people that he cares about, he doesn't necessarily seem all that concerned with his own self-preservation. Like he doesn't. You know, he's he's a townie who's in the same rut that many people in this town are. And he doesn't have all that much to live for. And the way that he handles that throughout the movie is is funny. He has a he has a good sense of doom and not that he embraces or wants death death, but it doesn't feel like he's trying to be a hero figure. It feels like his job is to save this town. All he has is his job. So he takes that seriously. And that's a very rare character in any movie, let alone kind of a, a horror movie. Like, they're they're usually either assholes who are above everything, or they're, like, eventually become the hero of the movie and become the Superman figure. Yeah, like, it's going to be – I'm going to make the weirdest comparison ever. He feels very much like a samurai in an Akira Kurosawa film where it's, like, the honor and the duty of his role – above all else is what's important to him. Like, yeah, he wants to save the villagers or the townspeople or whatever. You know, he wants to do all these things, but above all else, it's the role he has is yep. what's most important to him. And and that leads to so many of my favorite lines in the movie where, like, you know, uh, the, the girl who was saved in the bath is, like, they're getting surrounded by zombies, and, he, and she says, uh, what are we going to do? And he goes, I don't know, probably get killed and then turn into one of these uh, crazy brain slug things based on the way this day has been going. <laughs> yeah. like, and it's not like a one liner. It doesn't feel like here's my witty comment. It's like, well, uh, I don't have any more answers than you. I'm just trying to get through one situation at a time here. Yeah, I think Gunn is good at that. Like lines that's that are funny, but also feel like genuine. Yeah. Responses that people would give. Well, and Fillion's the perfect person to deliver this. Oh, yeah. I'm surprised Fillion isn't in more of Gunn's work. Like, I know he has that small role in Super, but he's like in... I don't think he's in either of the Guardians movies, or... Does he have, like, a cameo in the first one? I can't remember. Maybe he literally does not have, like, the time because Castle was on for so long. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I was, I was gonna say, why isn't Fillion in more movies? And I remember, of course, ABC's hit Castle took him away from us. Eight seasons of Castle! With their one season, 
Once per season, they, they gotta throw a bone to the nerds to remind everybody he was on Firefly. <laughs> Add on to those YouTube compilation videos of Firefly and Castle references, and they're all terrible references. <laughs> it's all like, have you been to this spa called Serenity? <laughs> and then Nathan Fillion looks at the camera and does and almost does a, a fucking wink while while these country guitars play, and it's like it's just one second away from a giant neon sign saying, "Hey kids, remember Firefly?" <laughs> Look, I'm I'm gonna throw. I have no evidence to back this up, but you know what? I'm gonna say it, Morgan. My guess is you are more familiar with the ABC television series Castle than any person that's ever been on the show before. 100. <laughs> percent I've literally only seen like two episodes, and then the compilation video of like all the times Firefly was referenced on Castle. Peter, just throw this out there. If one person that you would have to guess of all the people that have guessed it on our show that would potentially know Castle more than Morgan, who would you Joseph pick? Joseph Finn. The dude watches NCIS. Oh, yeah. no. oh shit. Joseph. Yeah, 100%. Joseph Finn loves himself some crime procedurals, and Nathan Fillion is a very charming man. I don't know how he could resist. We'll have to ask him next time he's on. Yeah, I, I, I'm still very charmed by Nathan Fillion. He's managed not to burn uh, burn out on me. I was actually really disappointed that he's not a regular on uh, Santa Clarita Diet, the new Netflix show. Like, I, I just want to see him in more places. Uh, not necessarily like a Firefly thing, because I understand that good things have to end at some point. Um, yeah. <laughs> Put your nerd badge back on the table. You're fired, Peter. <laughs> Um, I love Firefly and I loved Serenity. It was a good end to the show. Like, let's let's leave it. Yeah, at but that. you gotta want more of everything until you hate it, and then you get to go post online about now it sucks. If you don't get to the now it sucks point with nerd fandom, that's like not coming during. Sex. <laughs> <laughs> like, why do you need to turn on everything you enjoying love? things is just the foreplay. The real pleasure is in yeah, hating exactly. the things you like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically, Firefly getting canceled was like a blue ball for her entire generation <laughs> oh i still like everything well maybe i'll go back maybe i'll go back and watch some early episodes and i don't know maybe log some complaints i'll go see what's on tv tropes oh this is just i please uh sign a petition yes yes bring it back please i need something to I hate i still like it i still like i don't it. care that one of the cast members is dead and like three of the others don't want to work with joss anymore i just need more why do I still like this thing? Give me that revival special. <laughs> I guarantee they, now that I'm saying that out loud as a joke, I feel like that is part of it. Like, they don't know where to fit their feelings. They're like, well, I still like this. What do I do? I 100% agree. It's probably some part <laughs> of it. Some part of it is just like, well, wait, but wait a minute. I need closure. And uh, wait a minute. I got a really good finale. All right. So that's not closure. Maybe my closure will be uh, turning on the show and souring my <laughs> <Yeah>. soul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're running a little long. I don't want to skip on the Brenda scene because I, I still remember seeing that. They showed that on previews. Like her, her saying, um, you don't understand how starving I am. That's a horrifying scene to show in a trailer. It is yeah. very scary. Like they showed it on TV trailers. Cause I remember being like, you know, okay, Slither, Slug Monster horror movie. And then, you know, you see this like person who's expanded into, uh, to, into fit a barn as like a perfect circle. And, and I'm like, wait, what the fuck is this movie? <laughs> that was really what got me going. Like, okay, let me. Let me do some digging online and see what people are saying, because this looks fucking nuts. 
Yeah. It's a, it's a spookoblast, as uh, as Sam Raimi put it. It's it's not gross in a way where you're like, you're like, oh, I don't feel good about this movie. It's gross in a way where afterwards you're like, I had a good time. It's like leaving a carnival or something. Well, and they never tip their hat to what's going on with Brenda. Like, you just know that something is happening to her. At this point, we obviously, there is no slugs because she's the mother of those slugs. You just know that he has some alien tentacles. He's transferring some sort of fluid through those, like, chest tentacles to Brenda. And and you don't know anything. You don't see her, like, get fatter. It's not a gradual thing. So when they burst into that barn and you see that this is what's become of her, it is a truly shocking moment. Yep. it's a, yep. But you know something weird is happening and that she's still yeah. alive. And that's all you need to know. Uh, Morgan, do you have any final final moments from the movie that you kind of wanted to touch on before we, uh, we wrap this up? The mayor is one of my favorite characters James Gunn has ever written. He's amazing. Uh, I'm going to quote that Dr. Pepper rant probably for a long time. Oh, my God. It's so good. It's a great character moment because you're like learning how he's just like this frustrated baby. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I was watching it earlier a couple days ago with my girlfriend and she was like not really paying attention. She was kind of just reading like a book. And then every time he would speak, she would just put her book down and be like, OK, let's what what's the funny mayor going to say today? <laughs> like he's he's a great character. Uh, I know for a fact I the hardest laugh I had in that movie is like when he's just walking away and talking to someone. And it's like, I don't care, dear Lesbo, you're you can sit along with me. It's all good or some it's something <laughs> like that. I'm just like, Jesus. like it's mm. and then that Dr. Pepper ran is just mm. you can't see me, but I'm doing the Italian kiss. Oh, I felt it. It's that dialogue I live for. It's like <laughs> in the James Gunn pantheon of excellent lines. It's like that. And then, you know, who's Mary Poppins? Is that cool? Like <laughs> top tier, top tier. It's that top shelf line bourbon for me. <laughs> but that's pretty much all I wanted to talk on. The mirror's the best character <laughs> in the movie. Yeah, no, Morgan, that is a great call because we did not have enough time to analyze how fucking great the mirror is in this. Uh, Aaron, what a, what a, what are some final thoughts you have? I, I feel like this is in some ways kind of the renaissance of the gross 80s horror movie. You know, this, this wasn't a huge mega hit. It was a hit. But this was where I feel like people started really going back to both a different form of horror and probably my, you know, my favorite form of horror is like goofy, funny, scary, gross horror movies with a lot of ideas going on. And it, it did feel like a marked change uh, after um, a couple other phases that occurred uh, in between, say, 90s, like self-referential scream type horror to the kind of like Sixth Sense phase that we had where it was a lot of like the ring and the skeleton key and kind of that PG-13 spooky horror uh, movie and then into kind of like the um, resurgence of Grindhouse and torture porn and stuff like that where this kind of felt like a really breath of fresh air back to a genre and a or a subgenre that really wasn't getting any attention. And now there's a ton of these movies, some, some of equal quality or even better than Slither but this really feels like a, 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 a sea change that occurred that kind of let this type of movie exist again. So besides the fact that it's it's great all around, 
it also like holds a special place in my heart of like feeling like a 20 year or 15 year drought had come to an end it is kind of a fun like um welcoming banner into the modern horror era where you know i I bet you a lot of people are kind of mad that there's a lot of uh 80s love 80s throwback style horror movies now but we're also getting a lot of very like adult very like uh abstract strange horror movies i just watched evolution the other day like we're still getting Mm -hmm. the indie horror thing is still giving us this these stranger more modern um horror experiments but like this did feel like a banner welcoming to like a modern era of horror but yeah my favorite moment would probably be um grant's been stealing farm animals out in that side of town again that's like maybe my favorite moment in the movie where there's clearly been a little bit of a time jump they're hunting down grant but like they're not hunting him down as you know this threat to the universe they're hunting him down as like something weird happened to this guy and right now he's just eating animals it's a good encapsulation of the tone it's a great encapsulation of the tone i think it's my favorite moment in the movie and like they, they find a, a, a dog and he says doesn't strike me as a dog person <laughs> that's one of my favorite like wonderfully underplayed uh line readings by nathan fillion and, and his little cop group they're all really really funny but yeah that's that's kind of my favorite part of the movie is when it's being it has a sense of humanity it makes you care about these characters and at the end i genuinely even though i've seen this movie a bunch of times i genuinely worry for all the characters yeah well, thank you so much for being here, Morgan. I was, I'm, yeah. but yeah, I'm so glad you watched this for the first time because, like we said, it's awesome. Yeah, it's a great so movie. I really liked it. Yeah, and we're so glad to have you on for the first time. So, yeah. uh, before we talk about next week and the rest of Spooktober, what do you have to plug? Oh, I do have something to plug. Um, so, I have a Patreon page, not for myself, but for a mysterious writer I found called Clarissa Vandell. Uh, she writes uh, spooky noir stories. She writes maybe a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And if you just throw her a couple bucks each month, uh, you can see some of her work. She describes herself as kind of a goth San Diego. Yeah, well, uh, send us the link. We'll put it in. We'll put it in the show notes. Uh, well, thank you again so much for being on, Morgan. Uh, you, we will definitely have you back in the in the near future. That would be lovely. I'm sorry for ruining your show, and I would love to ruin it again. <laughs> You're welcome to ruin any time. Yeah, you can oh oh. ruin oh this. this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great, great name plug. Thank you. Um, so, sure. Peter, we have one more of the Slugfest. Yeah, it's Shiver. Do the voice, oh, please. Sorry. <laughs> we got one left in the month, and it is Shivers. This slugfest is coming to a close strong with a David Cronenberg movie we've wanted to do before, but it fit more conveniently in a slug. Really lost the voice mostly through that thing. <laughs> this, I'm glad we've had so much fun on the slugfest. Next week takes a serious turn. <laughs> it is literally the least fun of the four movies we've done, so. Um, I feel like we structured it very poorly. I'm glad we had Morgan on for this. Oh, thank you. Uh, that is just going to be a Peter and Aaron episode. Uh, we're going to have um, Beth Powder on. She's going to join us uh, in sometime in the next couple months, but unfortunately, uh, we were not able to make the schedule work as planned. So uh, it'll just be a Peter and Aaron episode. So guess what? Hope you like those fucking slug voices. <laughs> it's, it's, we're going to really blow it out big time for the last episode. <laughs> Are we going to do it the whole episode? Is that our goal? I think that could get very difficult based on the subject matter of the movie. <laughs> uh, Morgan, you're going to really like our special episode we're doing, our surprise special episode we're doing at the end of the month, actually. Oh. I don't think you, it needs to be a surprise anymore. Peter, why don't you announce what we're doing 
for the Halloween episode. Our Halloween episode is going to be another weirdo like we did the anthology episode last year. We are going to cover three things. We're going to be covering the Resident Evil video game. We're going to be covering the George Romero script that was trying to adapt the video game. And then the Paul W.S. Anderson movie that we ended up with. Oh my, that sounds exciting. Is it the uh, the the old PS one one or the the no, remake the HD remaster? I've I've owned every single Resident Evil game, multiple copies, including Zero, and I have never played one for more than thirty minutes. Yeah, uh, remake and four my favorites personally. Zero is fun. It's got slug zombies and it's got like flamethrowers and stuff, and it, the villain is great. It's like a glam rock slug zombie vampire dude. Who gets really mad that his uh, um, the Umbrella Corporation is selling his products and tried to murder him, so he turned into a slug zombie to take revenge, and he infects a train with slug zombie virus, but it's not great after the first train part, and then uh, Remake is probably the best, because Remake's actually genuinely kind of creepy. Yeah, I love that engine because Remake looks amazing. So anything that looks like Remake, I imagine, looks really, really good. Uh, Remake still, I mean, I know it's an HD remaster or whatever. Remake still looks pretty damn good. Well, they did the Zero uh, HD uh, remaster, too, that you can get on PlayStation. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. So if, uh, yeah, so if, uh, depending on how this playthrough goes, because I've actually, again, I owned Resident Evil Zero. I went on the train. I died because I couldn't tank control my way to shoot a zombie. And I'm like, never mind. Fuck this. This is why I hate tank controls. I'm not doing this. So I would love to do it at some point. Well, yeah. We, I hope we do uh, Resident Evil proud to you as a, as a longtime fan. I'm, I've been a fan since middle school. I have a great story about Resident Evil in middle school. We're like a, a counselor in my middle school. Got really mad that I played Resident Evil. He was like... Do you have violent thoughts because you've played the Resident Evil? And I'm like, have you? It's a zombie game, dude. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like my turning radius all that much, but otherwise, I'm fine with it. <laughs> he was the type of dude who was like convinced that if you played Halo, you were gonna like go on a school shooting spree. Oh, he so was... a child. Or go to space. Yep. Or go to space. Exactly. Like, you know... Think, think bigger, high school guidance counselor, I assume. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Morgan, thank you so much again. Peter, as always. Thank you. I wouldn't want to slug fast with anyone else. Aw. And occasionally more. Occasionally more. <laughs> 25% of the time. Hey folks, thanks for listening to We Love to Watch. Thank you so much for listening to our show, and we've got just a few quick announcements for you. There ain't nothing in the rule book that says that we can't do some of our own plugs, baby. If you'd like to talk to us, uh, tell us we're stupid, tell us we're beautiful. The quickest way to get to us is our Facebook group, facebook.com slash we love to watch, or our website wltwpodcast.com leave us a comment tell us we're doing a good job only tell us we're doing a good job we're so sensitive we're sensitive boys we're soft boys and uh if you'd like to help other people if you enjoy our show and want other people to be able to listen to this fine fine program that we produce at no cost 
We don't get any money for this. You guys have yet to pay us anything. We live and we breathe off of good reviews from iTunes. So if you would please go to iTunes, review our show, give us a positive rating. We would love to get more and more people involved in this show and this community. I know you hear it all the time, but it really does help. And we're also available, if you don't use iTunes, we're also available on Google Music, Stitcher, TuneIn. We're currently on SoundCloud. We'll take that out if SoundCloud goes away. (laughs) That's it. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned, guys, on our Facebook page especially. We're going to have a lot more polls, a lot more prizes, and a lot more uh, interaction with you guys. So keep it tuned in. Uh, Let us know what you guys are thinking. And again, above all else, thanks for listening. So we love to watch.